listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Campus this week, the online campus, as Pastor Scott said, uh, I am thrilled to be a part of our Old Town campus. And so a special shout out to uh, that special family of believers that meets on the corner of 5th and Sunnyside. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Also got a shout out to my my son Oliver because I'm on TV right now. And so he's very excited about that. He's probably not wearing clothes because he's a four-year-old. It's very hard to keep clothes on a four-year-old as most of you parents know. Some of you are like, four-year-old, I have a high schooler that's hard to keep uh, clothes on running around the house. But uh, uh, we're so glad you are here. Uh, it, is, it is great to be here. We're so glad we can gather in this way. And um, like, like Pastor Scott said, you know, it was, it was a rough week. And Monday, uh, we, we heard news that we're shutting down again as far as coming together and gathering indoors. And for me, uh, I, I took it pretty hard. Um, I don't, I, it's all internal when things go difficult for me, but, but my internal space, it, it, it hurt. It was like a, a gut punch, I would describe it as. The first time we shut down, so a, a little bit of context, about four months ago, um, the pastors came to me and said, hey, would you consider planting or, or uh, starting this um, church campus of Clovis Hills in this, in this building, uh, merging with this church in this new location? I said, sure, I was so excited to do that. I, it's an area I felt God was kind of calling me to and towards, and so I, I was on board it felt like God was just moving like gangbusters from, from day one, and it was exciting. We, we merged with this amazing congregation of, of believers, and we, we started hiring different people. We hired David, this incredibly gifted uh, worship leader. We hire uh, an E212 graduate in, in Heather Hubline, and, and she's just bursts a, a kids' ministry out of nothing, you know? And uh, we're just flying along, and it is so exciting exciting. And we grow from, you know, like 40 to pretty close to 100 our last gathering. And then we get shut down in, in mid-March. And when that happened, I was upset, but it, I wasn't, it wasn't a gut punch. It, it was anger and frustration and honestly kind of confusion because this was so, so new to all of us. But we, we do online church for a while, but then seven weeks ago, we, we were allowed to start again. And again, we are so excited. Heather and David just thrilled to get going again. David's met the whole team up here. And so now worship is incredible. Uh, at that corner, we have a full band. Uh, last week, Heather is finally allowed to launch kids ministry. And, you know, immediately it blooms right back into bloom. And we're, again, you feel like God is just on the move. And then Monday comes and they say, you're done. And I, I felt that gut punch, that, that sense of, of uh, deep disappointment and, and, and sadness. And I, I know we all felt it. I know I get on Instagram and poor Heather's like binge eating apples and dipping them in caramel, you know, as she's just so upset about this new development. And so I was going to say something different this week, but I changed gears in light of Monday and then, of course, in light of Thursday when, or Thursday or Friday when parents of Clovis Unified were again told uh, what happened in the spring is going to happen again in the fall and, and you got to figure out, teachers got to figure out online on school and 
And, and parents got to figure out their kids being home while maybe they have one or two jobs they're trying to also keep at the same time. And so it just feels like the punches just keep coming. I think we can all agree this is going to be a year we look back on and say never before did the punches just keep kind of raining down. And I, I was looking for some verses and some people to go to this week. And I, I, I was drawn to this verse in Proverbs that, kind of described our situation. It says in Proverbs that unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick. That sound about right? Unrelenting uh, disappointment leaves you heartsick. I could take the first hit in March, but it was un- the second hit got me. And so as the hits keep coming, your heart can become sick because of that. And so today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the, 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 the big idea is that gospel contentment heals a disappointed heart. Gospel contentment can heal a disappointed heart. And let me just say, uh, it's been good for me to prepare this message this week because it actually ministered to me to hear what I'm going to say to you today. So let's go ahead and jump in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 4, verses 10 through 14. Maybe that just means on your phone or open another browser on your computer. But let's go to Philippians 4, verses 10 through 14, and look in these verses how we see gospel contentment at work. And um, as we go through this verse, there's four points I'm going to make. And if you have the Clovis Hills app, there's a, a fill in the blank section under sermon in the app. You can kind of follow along there. But we're going to look at the Apostle Paul today and look at his life a little bit and see how gospel contentment can heal a disappointed heart when you feel like the hits just keep on, on coming. So Philippians 4, verses 10 through 14, if you're able to, wherever you are at, if you would go ahead and stand in, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you're watching, in honor of the reading of, of God's word. So Philippians 4 says this, verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and, and have a seat. So what's happening here in Philippians? The Philippian church has sent Paul a a gift, uh, a a, a support gift for his ministry. And at this time, Paul is actually incarcerated again. He is under like a house arrest, kind of a a place where he has guards watching him, but, but he's not free to go. So he's back in jail, you could say. And in those days, if you wanted to eat, you had to have friends and family send you money. So this is incredibly important. This is not random spending money for Paul and his ministry. This is survival money. And so they've sent him this gift and he's, he's, he's thrilled about it. And so he sends back this letter kind of as a thank you. There's other things he talks about, but the, the reason for the letter is the thank you for this gift. And he begins in verse 10 by thanking them. And as you're reading those verses, you might think it sounds like he is not that thankful, but that's not what's happening there. Uh, Back in those days, and still true today, friendships that were just based on money or on, on the giving of gifts, what you could do for me was the lowest form of friendship. Friendships that were kind of utilitarian in nature was the lowest form. And that is still true today, right? If your friendships are based on what you can do for me, those friendships are not 
friendships. So Paul says that. He says, thanks for the gift, but I want you to know that first and foremost, I'm your friend independent of any gift given. That's kind of why he waffles back and forth on that. But then in verse 11, he begins to teach them. He says, uh, I want you to understand that, that I know the secret of being content no matter what the circumstances are. Now, back in those days, most experts think that uh, Paul uses the word content specifically to address a common philosophy of the day, and that was Stoicism. Uh, Stoics, like uh, Seneca, believed that uh, you could develop your inner self to a point where you were not affected by circumstances. Um, They would agree with him when he says, um, I am good in need and in, and in plenty. No matter what happens, I am good. They thought that through like physically working out, through uh, learning and growing your mind mentally, through meditation, so spiritual activities, through, you could develop your inner man or woman to a point where you were self-sustaining. So the word content actually means self-sustaining. That's the idea that his audience would have heard when he said, I know how to be content. I know how to be self-sustaining. So the Stoics would have said, cool, Paul's one of us. But Paul, like he always does, flips it on his head and says, that's not actually what I'm saying. Because we kind of have that modern value today, right? That you should try to be a self-sustaining person, be strong enough, be smart enough, make wise enough to, you know, decisions in business and family and life so that you're unaffected by what happens. Uh, but Paul says, that's not what I'm saying. In verse 12, he goes back and forth and says, you know, plenty, want, well-fed, hungry. I've learned this, how to be self-sustaining. He says the word content again. But then in verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. A verse that is used for a wide variety of things. It's, it's written on, you know, socks of football players to you know, say I can score the winning touchdown. And that's fine and all, but that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, uh, this verse is, I know how to be content. And that is, I, when, when I allow Christ to, to sustain me, when I live a Christ-sustained life, I have enough strength to do whatever it takes. He's not self-sustaining. I want to give you a couple of examples here. It seems like Paul actually spent most of his time in need. So point number one is this. Uh, Point number one, how to be content. Number one, need becomes an opportunity for dependence. When you are in need, it's an incredible opportunity for you to learn dependence on Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm not going to read the verses because that would take a while, but I want to list off what he says has happened to him in his ministry. Because the Apostle Paul, you know, one of the, maybe the greatest missionary ever, did not have this clear path to ministry. Things did not hardly ever go smoothly for Paul. It says this. This is his list of things that have happened to him in ministry. He says that he has um, been imprisoned, of course, um, as he is at that moment, um, multiple times, countless near-death beatings. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was stoned, the kind where they throw rocks at your head until you're dead. Uh, Three times he was shipwrecked, beaten with rods, rods, adrift at sea, Danger from rivers, robbers, and people, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, and not on the list, but he was also bitten by a snake. So for all you snake people out there, that is Paul's ministry experience. 
And one chapter later, if you're like me, you, you might say, I, maybe God is not in this. Maybe I'm on the wrong pathway here, right? Um, but one chapter later, in chapter 12, Paul is saying to God, he's like, God, there's this weakness you've given me. There's this weakness that if you would just take that away, oh man, I could, I could really run. I could really do big things. And in uh, verse 9, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, this is God's response to Paul saying, God, if you would just clear the path. He says, uh, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we operate kind of, when we're doing good and we're operating in our strengths, there's, there's power in that, of course. But there is something incredible, almost like God's amplification system, when we are serving him in the midst of weaknesses. Uh, when Paul was in prison, every time Paul got imprisoned, the gospel was amplified. Every time. God used that to amplify it. In fact, interesting, Paul didn't sit down and write letters thinking to himself, I'm writing the Bible right now. He didn't think that. He was imprisoned and God used that opportunity for a man who by the end was probably pretty close to nearly blind, was using other people to help him write letters that God would amplify to become the, the, the letters of the New Testament. We as a church, when we went to go online a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we didn't think to ourselves before this all happened, like, hey, we need to be amazing online. But now that we're looking back on it, we think to ourselves, wow, what an incredible opportunity. This whole internet thing, is going to get bigger or smaller? It's, it's, it's huge. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so God has taken an area of weakness for our church and made it a strength. The best example I can always think of is my wife works for Johnny and Friends, a ministry, an incredible ministry that helps folks with disabilities and have family with disabilities get connected at churches. And, and Johnny Erickson Tata, the leader of this ministry, when she was a teenager, uh, dove into a lake and was paralyzed from the, became a quadriplegic. And I'm not saying God may not have used her had that not happened. He would have. But now God uses that weakness and she has a, a ministry to millions and millions around the world. There is something incredible. God can amplify our weaknesses to an incredible degree. And so we don't need, to, we, we should not run away from times of weakness. We should embrace them and say, in this moment, God, I need to learn. I, it's okay to say, I am weak right now and this hurts right now, but God, I trust you and I'm gonna lean on you. Parents, I believe right now is you may have received a tough call that your kids are going to be home right now and that makes you feel very weak. I'm not equipped to teach or to do this or to do that. I can't, I can't survive this. I believe that your kids may look back on this time and this could be the best year of their, of their life when they say, it was so cool that year, mom and dad, when you, you were stuck at home with me or forced to be home anymore and, and I learned so much and I grew so much and God amplified your voice in your kid's life during a time of weakness. And so weaknesses, uh, times of need are a time to learn dependence. On the second side of the coin is this. Paul doesn't just say when we have need, we are to, we are content, because that kind of makes sense. We have to learn how to be content in need. That makes sense intuitively. 
But he also says, I have learned how to be content in plenty. That is actually a little trickier. So point number two is this. Plenty becomes an opportunity for praise. When your life is doing well and when things are going well, when there's plenty, when there's excess, when there's margin in life, that is an opportunity for praise. We feel content when things are going well, right? When the kids are behaving and when the income is solid and when the health is dialed in and when all things seem to be going well, we feel content. But we know we're not content when something is pulled away and our response is to freak out. Like I said on Monday, um, our church, our ministry was going well. And the minute that was pulled away, uh, I freaked out. My heart was hurt because of it. And that revealed that I was not content. That maybe ministry results was something that I, that I thought was going well. That, I, that It was a me thing, not a God thing. And so when we have plenty, it can actually be the enemy of contentment. I want to read a passage for you. And don't, don't look it up. Don't go there. You can if you want to. It's Deuteronomy 8, verses uh, 10 through 18. But I want to read this as kind of a story and kind of an example. Actually, I'd encourage you even to maybe just close your eyes and just, just listen to this. Because as I read these words, it's about God's people, the Israelites, who are about to enter into a time of plenty. They've been decades and decades in a time of need and struggle and they're about to go into a time of excess and God does not say this is going to be awesome. God does not say this is going to be cool. God says this is going to be dangerous for your faith going into a time of plenty. So let's go ahead and read this. And if you would just close your eyes and listen and think to yourself, think about ways in which this sounds just like you and me. Here we go. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God. I'm going to read that one more time. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you on this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the, the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in this wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Go ahead and open your eyes. As I read that, it almost kind of makes me shiver a little bit, kind of kind of creeps me out, you know, because that, that's our story, church. That is, that is the church in America today. We, we do have plenty. And, and, and I love the first verse. And that's, that's the key idea here, right? When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord. That is the cure for contentment or how to be content in plenty. When you have plenty, you don't say to yourself, I've earned it. You don't say to yourself, I, I deserve this. Instead, you say, I have plenty. God, thank you. Praise 
you. Thank you. I don't buy the lie that, that I'm, I'm good enough or strong enough to do this on my own. And I love where it says, even the fact that I have the, the mind or the strength to do this, that ability came from God. It's all about God. So when we have plenty, we have to learn to praise. And the reality is, church, we still have plenty, amen? Right? We still have, no matter what has happened in the midst of this COVID era, we still have plenty, right? Worshiping at home is an incredible thing. And this is a time when we can take examples from around the world. If you've ever seen praise around the world, you see people, and I'm not saying they're in need and yet they're praising. In fact, I think they believe they are experiencing plenty and you see them praising. When you go to rural Swaziland with Kareen and, 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 and that team and, and, and you see them, the church worshiping under tarps held up by stick poles and just blistering sunlight and you see the praise, what's happening is they're saying, God, thank you for all you are doing. And they view themselves as having plenty and they're thanking God for that. When you go to Malawi with Pastor Scott and you go to the prison and they're, again, out in the blistering sun in the courtyard, many wearing the clothes they came in with because they can't get new ones until they see a judge. And they have been in the same set of clothes for years and they're singing a cappella, no, no instruments, no, no lights, no haze, no nothing, just a cappella worship. And they're praising, they're expressing gratitude because they, they believe that they are experiencing plenty. And, and so church... We need to be in that same boat with them. Instead of looking at what we've lost in these moments, we look and we say, God, we still have plenty. And that plenty is from you. And we have to learn how to keep praising, thanking God no matter what is going on. The third uh, kind of point is this. Trial becomes an opportunity for community. Trial becomes an opportunity for community. A way to be content is to be in a community where you understand that you are there for each other. I'll be quick on this one, but it's really simple. I love in verse 14, after he's just said that Jesus gives him all the strengths he needs, he then says, but you know what? Thank you for the money, right? He says, thank you. He says, as much as Christ has done for me, still thank you for the gift. It was good of you to share my troubles. Sometimes the strengthening of the Lord, the strengthening of Christ, what we want to do, comes through people. It's not just you and Jesus hanging out. It's sometimes you and people and Jesus working through people. Really quick application. We learned during this COVID era, getting into a growth group is huge. When they canceled all the gatherings of this size and said you need to meet in smaller gatherings, growth groups became huge. I have 12 in my growth group and we need each other. And the reason why is because not everybody is up and down at the same time. And while one or two might be down in our group on any given week, there's 10 others saying, how can I help? What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? Is there any food you need? Is there any money you need? Can I help watch your kids? Whatever. The area you are weak, I'm strong right now. Can I help you? And so Jesus strengthens us, yet it is good to have our troubles shared in community with other people. Never do life alone. Finally, the last one is this. Number four, the gospel meets our deepest needs. And I would say this, church, 
I would say this is actually the fuel that makes Paul go. The gospel meets our deepest needs. When I was in college in the 90s, we learned uh, from, a, from a, a guy named Maslow, uh, a famous uh, psychology idea was this guy named Maslow said that we have needs and we have to meet our deepest needs first. And our, our deepest needs are like food, water, uh, sleep, and shelter. If those needs aren't met, you can't move beyond that to become uh, a full person. At the very top of the hierarchy was self-actualization. That's like finding and following you know, God and, be, and your purpose and, and who you are and, and developing your inner self, you could say, right? You can't do that till food and drink is in place, right? But we now know that that is not entirely true. And in fact, they've done studies and they've seen that kids who grow up where food and shelter is kind of tight, as long as they have loving, caring parents, life feels good. And we also know that in America today, generation by generation gets unhappier and unhappier, less content and less content, even though they have more and more and more. We live in an incredible age of plenty, yet people over 30 are more unhappy than ever. The reason why is your deepest needs are not food and water. Your deepest need is this. You need to be loved and accepted. We know that. Psychology knows that. That is the deepest need. You need people to love and accept you. But let's go one step further. What if the God of the universe, the creator God of the universe, loves and accepts you? How would that change your life? How would that change your life? It changed Paul's life. Paul, even though he was, he would say the worst sinner in the world, a man who killed Christians, knew that God knew that and loved him anyway and accepted him into his family, back into God's household anyway. That's what got Paul up off the ground after rocks hit him and took him back in the city. That's what kept him going in prison. All the other stuff kind of faded away because he knew that God loved him. And he knew that because he knew that at the end of it, God wasn't some distant heavenly thing. God sent Jesus to the earth to die on a cross for his sins, to to show that love and acceptance so that Paul knew no matter what happened in life, God had him and he was good. How about you? Where are you at today? Some of you need to just be reminded of that as you now strive forward in a time of challenge. God's got you. The same God that sent Jesus and and the same Jesus who willingly went to the cross to, to suffer and die for your sins is the same God that is for you today as you move forward in challenging times. But if you're here today, if you're watching online today, if you're in your living room today, let me ask you quite simply, have, have you said yes to that free gift of love and acceptance? You are loved and accepted. We see that in the cross of Christ. It's already there. But God is a gentleman. He never forces you to love or to follow him. He invites you. He offers acceptance and says, I love you. I wanna take this severed relationship that we have that is causing all the discontentment in your heart. The deepest discontentment comes from the fact that our relationship has been broken. 
I, I have fixed it through Christ, simply say yes. If you're watching today and you have never said yes, you've never said, God, I believe, what's holding you back? Nothing. You can right now, we can bow our heads, we can close our eyes, we can simply say, God, I need you. And so let's close in prayer. And as we pray, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to do just that, to allow God to meet the deepest need you have, the need that all other discontentment and disappointment tries to fill, the need for a loving Savior to meet you where you're at.